0: Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Happy Thursday, everybody. I hope you're all doing well this week. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and host of The Last Symptom. Glad to have you back here with me again, or maybe this is your first time. And if that's the case, the pleasure is all mine. There's nothing noble in being superior to your fellow men. True nobility lies in being superior to your former self. Ernest Hemingway. If that don't capture the spirit of the work we're all doing here, I don't know what does. By the way, I haven't had time to confirm that Ernest Hemingway actually said this. So, you know, it could have been old Farmer Bob down the road who actually said it. You know how the internet is. But, I do like the message it communicates either way. TheLastSymptom.com is my website full of free resources. Please visit, take advantage of the article library, which I need to update. Take advantage of the streaming and links to other resources that I offer. If you're benefiting from my work and would like to have a part in what I'm doing, you have the option of donating to The Last Symptom right there at thelastsymptom.com. Also, there are a couple of paid services available. Speaking of paid services, I really need to highlight one of them today because the deadline to participate is fast approaching. So please bear with me. I'll try to be brief so we can get on to the meat of today's conversation. What I want to tell you about is the upcoming two-week intensive education course that I offer. Now, I'm not aware of any other program, as comprehensive or as intimate, anywhere in the world, it's called The Last Symptom West Coast Fundamentals Live and Online Course, and this is only the second time that I've offered it. The first one was geared for the East Coast and had great support and success. This class begins August 17, 2020, and that's only about three weeks from the time of this recording Participants are already joining. The class size is limited to 12 participants. And if you want to get real about it, only 10 paid participants. Because I'll be extending a private personal invitation to at least two people who are under financial hardship at no cost to them. By the way, if you'd like to sponsor one of these two no-cost spots in the class, or sponsor additional spots in the class. You can do that also at thelastsymptom.com. So, 12 participants total. That ain't a whole lot of spots. I designed it that way so that I can give each person plenty of personal attention without overwhelming myself or without cheating people of my attention. Because the class is geared for those on the U.S. West Coast, Do you have to live in the U.S. West Coast to attend? No, not at all. You only need to be willing to work with the West Coast time zone. For example, because I'm on the East Coast, it will require me to stay up late each night. But I'm willing to do that to make things easier for those not in my time zone. So the class is from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. each evening, Los Angeles time. That's four hours every evening for two weeks with weekends off by the time it's all over participants will have spent over 40 hours with me personally as I provide various insights using a PowerPoint presentation the objective is not to cure you of your emotional disorder or a borderline personality disorder within two weeks curing yourself is your work not mine and you can do it but In order to do it, you need to lay down a solid foundation of accurate and comprehensive insights about how your emotional disorder come to be, the power it has over you, and why, and how to eliminate it once and for all, as well as thousands of other insights that are much too numerous to go over here now. TheLastSymptom.com. Click on the Paid Services tab. Scroll down to U.S. West Coast Fundamentals Course. If you want to sponsor somebody else, instead of going into the paid services tab, you'll want to go into the donate tab. Enough of that. Let's get into some other things here for this week. Do you remember a week or so ago, I told you I was getting all these emails from people's Internet agents trying to get them guest spots here on this show. And you might remember that I said I couldn't figure out why all of a sudden I was getting all these emails. Well, apparently, the Last Symptom podcast has quietly and steadily climbed pretty high up on the podcast charts here in the United States, as well as in other countries. Uh, Australia stood out to me, getting very close to the top 100 there. So congratulations to you, and to me, and to The Last Symptom. I really appreciate all of you who take the time each week to hear the show, and that's all I'll say about that. I don't want to jinx anything. Today's topic, feeling is not doing. One of the most important insights that The Last Symptom work is built upon is the reality that feelings are never right or wrong, good or bad. In fact, this was the first of two epiphanies that would eventually lead to my own authentic recovery from borderline personality disorder. As I've related in the past, I may have heard variations of that statement in the past, I'm not sure. But if I did, it went right over my head. It was at a point when I was exhausted, beat down, in surrender mode, when it was told to me again by somebody I was highly receptive to, and when I heard it, I literally said, Wait, what? Say that again. And the person I was talking to said, I said, feelings are never good or bad, right or wrong. They aren't anything. They're just information. Because of the state of mind I was in, the floodgates opened up and suddenly all of these puzzle pieces come together. It felt like my body become a wash with realization. I really did sit there with my mouth hanging open, realizing for the first time in my life, for the first time, that I had always secretly judged myself for the things I was feeling. I was quietly, so quietly that until that very moment, I had never even been aware That I was doing it, quietly judging the things I felt as being good or bad, right or wrong, appropriate or inappropriate, and by extension, judging myself as being good or bad, right or wrong. You see, if you're you're judging your feelings as good or bad, right or wrong, then when you feel something that you believe is wrong how does that make you perceive yourself you are somebody bad right to give you an example i remember when i was a kid that when whenever my dad was abusive and we would have these very intense evenings or days where he was uh, extremely emotionally abusive and which would bleed into him being physically abusive but, uh, you know, the physical abuse, uh, as much as I disliked it, uh, knowing what I know now, the emotional abuse was much more, was, was a much more egregious offense. So I remember that when my dad would go on these abuse benders, I, I, I like to call them, and through the abuse within myself, whenever I would feel disgust toward him or hate or anger. Later, I would then feel immense shame for having felt those things toward my own father. I felt like it was a betrayal. I was betraying this man who I loved so much and who had brought me into the world and provided for me. I've told individuals, but I don't think I've ever told you as my audience that I remember in high school, the other guys would call their fathers old man. It's an expression. Um, I reckon it's especially an expression in Appalachia or in the South. But, uh, you know, teenagers start to feel, you know, they start to grow up and they start to feel cool. Cool. And when they're talking with their buddies, they say, "The old man did this. The old man told me that. Oh, the old man wanted to get out the the three wheelers or whatever. Oh, the old man wanted me to help him with uh, work on the car, stuff like that." That term, "old man," I found so disrespectful that even thinking, even imagining myself referring to that to my father that way made me feel terrible shame. It made me feel terrible guilt and shame and and sadness. I felt sad that the other guys would refer to their own fathers that way. The old man. Uh, It pained me to imagine my father getting old. And it pained me deeply to imagine a day when he might not be around. But the point is, That uh, I had feelings about my feelings. (laughs) So even as the victim of abuse, whenever I would feel disgust or anger or hate later, I would then feel immense shame for having felt the hate or the anger or the disgust. Uh, I judged it as a betrayal. I judged feeling those things as a betrayal. Imagine that. My reaction to my negative feelings at being abused were to later feel remorse and shame over having felt those negative feelings as if I had done something wrong. Won't that just twist your brain up, what I just said? (laughs) my reaction to my negative feelings at being abused were to later feel remorse and shame over having felt those negative feelings as if I had done something wrong. Well, hearing hearing that feelings are never good or bad, right or wrong, and me taking a millisecond to open my mind and consider the broader implications of that allowed me to begin to see the enormity of the utterly unnecessary torture I had been putting myself through for decades. And all while being completely, and I mean completely, oblivious to the fact that I was doing it at all. Feelings are never good or bad, right or wrong. It's so simple. It's so simple, it can go right over your head. And yet if you hang on to that thread with a death grip and begin unraveling it, you discover an endless number of other enormously profound and impactful insights. Take a moment to think about what was really happening with what I was feeling toward my father. Uh, Were my feelings of hate and anger ever really directed toward him as a person to begin with? No, but I was confusing my feelings about the things he was doing as being the same as my feelings for him as a person. Nobody had ever helped me understand that the things we do are not the same as who we are. They aren't one and the same thing. How I feel about something you do is not the same as my feelings for you personally. They're just so closely related in many cases that we often think they are the same thing. Or maybe we don't bother to make the distinction. I loved my dad. I hated his abuse. That's what was going on with me as a child. And these two things were not in any way contradictory. But inside of me, it was tearing me up. Why? Because I hadn't made the distinction between what I was feeling toward the things he did as opposed to how I felt about him as my dad. Have you seen the Broadway play yet? Hamilton. There's a verse in one of the songs that caught my attention. Hate the sin, love the sinner. It's just a lyric that goes by so fast, if you blink, you'll miss it. Do you live that way? Or do you just lump all of these distinctions into one big pile, as I used to do, and consider them all the same thing? What are my feelings toward my dad today? I love that man dearly. And I despise his past abuse. And I despise his present failure to demonstrate an interest in owning that abuse, understanding it, and correcting the underlying issues that allowed him to treat me and our family that way. I love my dad, I love the man, and I very appropriately despise the things he has done and the things he is now not doing. You know, not doing is an action too. It's the action of doing nothing. How about our feelings? Is our feelings an example of us doing something? When you feel something, is that an example of you doing something? No. Now, you may think I'm just stating the obvious here. But you got to hang with me here so you understand why, why I'm bringing this up. This is an extremely important thing to try to grasp. It's extremely important, I would say imperative, for you to sit and examine yourself deeply and try to determine if you secretly or subconsciously or unconsciously perceive your feelings, what you feel, as being the same as doing something, that is, as carrying out an action. Why do I say it's imperative to determine this about ourselves? Well, as people, on some level, we understand that we can be held accountable for the things we do or fail to do Uh, There may be lots of reasons why I crash into somebody else in my car and kill them. Might be a lot of reasons for that. I will still be held accountable for it. It doesn't matter if it was raining and my windshield wipers weren't working. It doesn't matter if I drop something and I bend over to pick it up. Uh, It doesn't matter if I did it on purpose or not on purpose. I will still be held accountable for that person's death. Uh, It doesn't matter why I just stand in place and don't rescue somebody from some train tracks when a train is coming. My failure to act, I, I can still be held accountable for that. If that person dies, and I'm just standing there, and I do nothing, and I could have done something, I can be held accountable for that. So, as people we can be held accountable for the things we do or fail to do. We, we all know this. We either know it consciously, subconsciously, or unconsciously. That's the reality uh, that you're working with, that you're living on, the premise that you're operating in this world with. So if feeling a thing is an example of something we're doing, then naturally we can be held accountable for what we feel. Now note this, for anything we can be held accountable for, that thing can be classified as being good or bad, right or wrong. Boy, there was a lot of of possible insights packed into that little paragraph there. So let me say it again. If feeling a thing is is an example of something we are doing, then naturally we can be held accountable for it. For anything we can be held accountable for, that thing can be classified as being good or bad, right or wrong. You might want to write that down and, and just think on it. So... Uh, That brings us to the most important question. Is feeling something the same as doing something? When you feel a thing, is that the same as you haven't done a thing? You felt, didn't you? Well, this goes back to correcting our misunderstanding. Of the very nature of what feelings are. When you feel something, is this an example of you having a choice and making a choice? In other words, are you sifting through the many feelings you could feel, choosing one of them, and then feeling that feeling? No. So write this down. Feelings aren't something you do. Feelings are something we experience. Think about all the other things you experience. Think about uh, going outside without a jacket and feeling a chill. Is feeling a chill something you are doing? Or is it something you are experiencing Did you have any choice in the matter as to whether you felt that chill or not in the first place? Who or what determines if you feel chilled when you go outside? It's the conditions around you, right? And what purpose does this chill or feeling of coldness serve? What purpose does it serve? It's one of the sensory abilities your body has to inform you about your surroundings and your circumstances and to provide you information about your physical needs. Well, you might say that's physical and our feelings are emotional, but nonetheless, our emotions also fall into this same category. Our feelings are simply an emotional sensory ability that our bodies possess. They're meant to give us feedback about things like our surrounding, our circumstances, our needs. Is the fact that you felt a chill an example of you doing a good thing or a bad thing, a right thing or a wrong thing? No, it's not. It's not an example of you doing anything at all. Rather, it's an example of you experiencing something, a chill. So, is feeling angry, sad, or happy an example of us doing a good thing or doing a bad thing? doing a right thing or a wrong thing. No, it's not. It's not an example of us doing anything at all. It's an example of us experiencing something. Experiencing anger. Experiencing sadness. Experiencing happiness. Again, can we be held accountable for anything we are merely experiencing? No, and the idea is ludicrous. We can only be held accountable for things we ourselves have control over, such as things we do or don't do, and feelings, that is our emotions, do not fall into this category. Your underlying perspective on this is important because for some of you, You live on the premise that God is watching and judging. For those of you who are atheists, you still live on some moral premise of right and wrong, and the idea that there exists some authority which can hold you accountable, even if that authority is yourself. For some, that authority might be represented by the courts. It might be represented by the police. It it might be represented by society's standards. It might be how you imagine yourself being judged by history. Whatever the case, all of us live with some authority in mind, and we either intentionally or unintentionally measure ourselves against the standard held by that authority. For me, it's God. So that was a big deal through my recovery. Because I was judging my feelings as good or bad, right or wrong, I also thought that God was judging, was looking inside of me at what I felt and classifying that as good or bad. So since we're all in this situation, whether we believe in God or not, identifying what category things like feelings fit into, their very nature, the very nature of what feelings are, Identifying what category they fit into and then making sure that our perception and understanding of the very nature of them is accurate is an imperative step in ever being emotionally healthy. Feelings are never right or wrong, good or bad, because they aren't anything we do or have control over. They're something we experience. We can't reasonably be held accountable for anything we have no control over. Besides this, our feelings are simply information. So, even if they were something we could could control, the reality is that they're just information. (laughs) They're feedback about our needs, our circumstances, our surroundings, and so on and so forth. Still, folks who have lived all their lives with subtle misconceptions about the nature of feelings often have trouble fully understanding the significance of this, of what we just covered, as well as seeing how it applies in everyday life. You know, they've lived for so long confusing what feelings are and not understanding their true nature or purpose. Maybe they confuse them with their thoughts. You know, often I talk to people, and as we get to talking, they say, I feel bad about this or that and this— and I said, well, you're talking about two different things here. <laughs> On the one hand, you're talking about your feelings. On the other hand, you're talking about your thoughts. These are not one and the same, and they can't be classified as one and the same. So a lot of people have lived for so long confused in what feelings are and the very nature of them and their purpose that they, they have a hard time unraveling feelings from other entirely unrelated things like I just illustrated and making the distinction between the category their feelings fall into and and you know dealing with their feelings based on that on the the category they uniquely fall into differently than other human things like thoughts or behaviors for example you'll remember that I did this too when confusing what I felt about my dad's behaviors as being the same as what I felt about my dad himself. The two things were distinct, but I did not see the distinction. Greater peace and acceptance and inner contentment came to me when I did begin seeing and making the distinction. So recently somebody told me the story of her parents not treating their adult housekeeper in the way that she feels the adult housekeeper should be treated. Because she's trying to live by the fundamental principles and laws of emotional health, she found herself in a pickle. She felt like perhaps, because of her feelings in this situation, she was allowing herself to step outside of her circle in the sand, so to speak, and to violate... The Law of Individual Inherent Rights, Responsibility, and Authority. Now, if you're a new listener and are not familiar with the Law of Individual Inherent Rights, Responsibility, and Authority, a mouthful, I know, please go to thelastsymptom.com into the article library. Find the article that explains that law. But just as a brief recap here, what that law describes is the reality that no individual has any inherent rights, responsibility, or authority outside of himself or herself. So it's like we all live with a circle around our feet in the sand, and that's where all of our power and authority exists. Therefore, the reality, whether we recognize it or not, is that anytime we try to approach life as if we have authority or power outside of that circle, we are really wasting our time, more than our time. We're wasting our time, our attention, our energy. It's just a waste through and through. We're really just expending attention and effort in a totally pointless way anytime we try to step outside that circle. Well, what do you think? As this adult woman who does not live at home watches this situation between her parents and the relationship they have with the adult housekeeper, and she finds herself feeling strongly about this situation, is this an example of her acting in conflict with the law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority? Those of you who answered no, this is not an example of acting in conflict with the law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority. You are correct. What is the simplest explanation of why she has no reason to think she's doing anything unhealthy here? Well, it's because feeling stuff is not an example of her doing Stuff. So here's an example of what seems like this enormously complex situation with all these relevant parts and players and laws and principles to consider and the seeming complexity of the whole thing is undone by one simple truth feeling is not doing. You're literally allowed to feel any way you feel about anything you don't even have a choice in the matter. Whatever you feel is what you feel. Now, it's true, other people's relationships are not any of our business. What does that mean? Does it mean we don't have feelings about, about things when we see them going on? No, what it means is that we don't involve ourselves with other people's lives and choices. Feeling something is not involving yourself with other people's choices. How could it be? It's not something you're doing. It's something you're experiencing. Right? We've already established that. Feeling is not doing anything. It's simply experiencing something. So it's clear... That this woman was confused in what she feels as, as somehow being an action she is choosing to take. And it's not. For many of you after this episode, it's going to be constructive for you to sit down and say, Have I either been consciously or subconsciously or unconsciously connecting my feelings to my actions or my thoughts? Have I been considering them as being one and the same? All three things well, maybe this has been a problem. And it makes sense if you think about the fact that emotional disorders, typically, uh, the people who have emotional disorders, their feelings are making decisions for them. So it's really not surprising, is it, that these people would look at their feelings and equate them as being the same as their actions because whatever they feel, typically that's what they do. But they're not the same thing. You gotta make that distinction if you're ever going to regain control over your own actions and and stop allowing your feelings to make decisions for you in my personal life all sorts of baloney and uh, baloney is just a substitute for shit i'm trying to i'm trying to cut back on the cursing from now on and this is just an Appalachian term you know instead of saying that's uh, that's bullshit a lot of times we say that's baloney you're you're full of baloney so uh, if you hear me saying "Baloney," <laughs> now you know what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm addressing mostly people uh, outside of the United States. I listen. You folks endure <laughs> so much for me, and I really appreciate it. I mean, when I try to listen to somebody from the U.K, man, I have to listen real hard. To understand exactly what they're saying, because, uh, you know, the accent is so beautiful and, and rich and crisp, but I'm so unfamiliar with a lot of that terminology and stuff that it, it's very easy for me to get lost. So <clears throat> kudos to you folks uh, in Australia and the UK and uh, India and Africa who and, and everywhere else. I, I don't mean to leave anybody out, out but uh, man... Uh, you have my deep respect for listening to this program and enduring some of my terminology and slang and, and all that. So back to this point, baloney is, uh, is a euphemism for uh, shit. So all sorts of baloney comes down my timelines on social media. And in my personal case, I feel all sorts of things about these statements and these posts and these attitudes and interpretations of things going on in the world. How, how much of it do you think I agree with? Well, if I'm doing my job right, uh, 50% of you think that I totally agree with uh, all of your perspectives on world events, and the other 50% that thinks the same thing. <laughs> That's what I'm going for. <laughs> <laughs> because if, if you believe that I disagree with you on some fundamental things that are going on in the world, that doesn't help my message here or my work here at all. And my, my objective is to help you get healthy. That's all I care about. So that's why I don't bring in, I try not to bring in, a lot of my personal opinions on, on world events and uh, modern topics, okay? Because if I do that, without a doubt... 50% of you will tune me out, and I don't want that. I care about you all, no matter what your, your opinions are about things, and I want to help you all. That is why I reserve those things to myself. But I do have opinions. I'm a human being. I, I do have opinions. And uh, some of my opinions are strong. I feel strong things when I look out at the world and view a lot of these things. But although I feel all sorts of things about uh, the statements and attitudes and interpretations uh, that other people have about things that are going on in the world, I only use what I feel about those things to look at myself and my own life and make decisions for myself. In this way, you can see that what I feel and what I do are two entirely different, almost entirely unrelated things. What I feel when I look out at others is not an example of me stepping outside of my sphere of inherent rights, responsibility, and authority and trying to assume control over anybody's, any, any other person's inherent rights, responsibility, and authority. No, I'm allowed to observe outside things and feel however I feel about them. Why? Because feeling is not doing. And also because I can use what I observe and feel to make decisions for me. Now, does this change? If the person I'm observing... Outside of myself, if I'm looking out at the world, I'm looking out at life. Uh, does this change if I'm making observations about my brother or my aunt or my grandma? Let you think about that for a second. Does it change based on who I'm looking out at the world at, outside of myself, any, anything external? No, I can feel whatever I feel. It doesn't matter who it is. I can feel whatever I feel. What I cannot do is act to try to step outside of my circle in the sand and try to assume their inherent rights, responsibility, and authority. you got that? I can observe my brother, and I can totally disagree with with what he's doing and the way he's living his life. You see, I can feel whatever I feel about it. What I cannot do is attempt to step outside my circle in the sand and try to assume my brother's inherent rights, responsibility, and authority that only belong to him. The instant I do that, I have now moved from just feeling to now doing. And I'm doing something I have no right to do. I can feel that somebody I care deeply about is making foolish decisions. And at the same time, I can recognize that I have no inherent right, responsibility, or authority to do anything about it beyond deciding not to make those sorts of decisions for myself. Well, maybe you say, but this is, you know, in my case, it's sort of a unique situation. For example, this person could have said that I was talking to about the, the housekeeper could say, this is a unique situation because in this case, I don't feel like the housekeeper is a strong enough person or, or outspoken enough or a smart enough person to stand up for herself The phrase, it's a unique situation, is code for, healthy laws and principles don't apply to me. Or, they only apply in certain circumstances. Well, that's not what a law is. When we're talking about emotional health and laws, laws describe a concrete reality that you live with, (laughs) whether you know it or not. You already live with it, whether you know it or not. The problem is not uh, you just acknowledging it and applying it in your life. No, it, it's already being applied in your life. The problems are coming from you not recognizing that, and you working disharmoniously with it. You're, you're working in conflict with what is. Universal laws describe a concrete reality. Our measure of health depends on our ability to recognize that, that this is just the reality. And then we ourselves choosing to live in harmony with that law in order to experience the least amount of frustration and conflict with that reality, right? Because nobody purposely chooses to fight against the reality they're simply dealing with because that makes no sense. It's only going to result in frustration and conflict and, in the end, never give you the result you were trying to get. The law of individual inherent rights, responsibility and authority, correctly identifies who you have the inherent right, responsibility and authority to worry about and stand up for at all times. Not just sometimes. Or when you feel good about it. (laughs) When you ignore this law for any reason and you assume rights or you, you attempt to assume rights, uh, responsibility, and authority that don't belong to you, for any reason, you're arrogantly leaving behind what you do have authority and power over and choosing to assume arrogantly. I mean, there's so much arrogance wrapped into it. Arrogantly choosing to try to assume somebody else's inherent rights, responsibility, and authority. Rights, responsibility, and authority that only belong to them. So if the person you believe is not strong enough, quote, unquote, is an adult, uh, then they are responsible for managing their own life, and make an evaluations for themselves about how strong or not they are, not you. What right do you have to make an evaluation of other people anyway? You don't. You don't. How would you like if we put you into a room of 30 people and, uh, who all do the same thing to you? They'll all make evaluations about whether you are smart enough to manage your own life. Or if you're strong enough to make your own decisions, how would you like that? Even if other people do nothing and make the absolute worst decisions imaginable, you have no inherent right to have your attention fixated there, nor to involve yourself in their life. This misplaced attention and focus and energy is the very foundation of emotionally unhealthy thinking and living. Now, if somebody comes to you and seeks your advice, then you can give it. Otherwise, you got, believe me, you've got plenty of your own baloney <clears throat> shit to worry about. And besides, have you stopped to consider that if the person that you think is not strong enough truly is not strong enough or smart enough or capable enough, have you stopped to consider that the reason why they're not capable enough is probably because she's got people like you in her life enabling her not to ever assume her own individual inherent responsibility and authority over her own life in any healthy, mature way as each adult is responsible for doing? So you can remain unhealthy and as an unhealthy person go around trying to fix and save other adult free agents in life. Preventing them from ever having to live up to their own responsibilities to themselves. While at the same time neglecting all the things about yourself that are not perfect and could be improved upon. So you can live as an enabler. An unhealthy enabler who neglects her own uh, inherent rights, responsibility, and authority. Or I think this is the much better option. You can maintain focus on yourself always and be healthy, but not both things. If this other woman is six years old, then it's different. If she's self-initiating and reaching out to you for help, then it's different. But if she's an adult free agent and she hasn't specifically reached out to you and asked for help or for your opinion, um, do me a favor, go slap yourself in the face, I mean hard, and regain focus where your focus needs to be. Healthy adults do not assume inherent rights, responsibility, and authority over any other adult's life. Just because we think they're doing it wrong, or just because we think they could do it better, or just because that's not how we think they should live, we, we don't do it. But here's the good thing. You're allowed to feel, <laughs> however you feel, about the injustices that you see other adults choosing to allow themselves to go through. You can be sad, you can be angry, you can be frustrated. But if you value these people as adult human beings, if you value them as adult individuals, you will allow them to live their lives and make whatever decisions they are choosing to make. Or not choosing to make. The same as other adults have no choice but to allow you to do the same for your own self and your own life. Are you allowed to show others how you feel? Yes, you are. Because feelings aren't good or bad right or wrong. You're allowed to feel whatever you feel. You don't have to hide it. You don't have to be ashamed of it. Are you allowed to express it? you're always allowed to express yourself honestly in any situation as long as as long as, long your intent is not to offend and never ever offer advice that has not been solicited. I live by this. And you say, well, every week you're doing like an hour program and you're writing these articles and you're offering all this advice and everything. Yeah, but I'm not doing it... F- uh, specifically for you, <laughs> I'm not calling you up on your home phone number and saying, oh, listen, you got to do this. Nope. What I'm doing in this work is I'm expressing what I've learned what I learned in my own experience of recovering from borderline personality disorder. I'm expressing the insights I gained, and I'm putting it out there. That's my part of all this. You listening, that's you. That's your choice. That's, the, that's a choice you're making for your own life, right? So my part in this is simply putting it out there. Whoever wants, wants it, they for themselves can take advantage of it. Those who don't want it, well, <laughs> there's some of those too. Uh, and uh, I get the emails. <laughs> that's up to them too. But I'm not forcing this down anybody's throat. I'm just simply laying it out there. You know, it's like, uh, I'll tell you what it's like. It's like getting a stray dog in the neighborhood. You can set the food out there, can't you? You can set the food out there on the back stoop and go to bed. If you wake up the next morning, you go and you open up the back door and the food's still there. Hasn't been touched. Is it any skin off your back? No, it's not. Were you forcing the dog to eat it by by just setting the food out there? No, you weren't. But you knew that, you know, the dog, it's hungry. If you put it out there and the dog wants to eat it, then your conscience is clear, ain't it? You've done your part. If the dog doesn't do his part, you still have a clean conscience. Well, that, that's the work I'm doing here. I put it out there. Those who do take advantage of it, uh, I feel like that I've used my experience for a good. I'm not keeping it secret to myself. I'm putting it out there for everybody. Those who do take advantage of it, my conscience is clear. I didn't learn a thing and then just, and then just keep it to myself. Those who don't take advantage of it, no skin off my back. Now, Uh, Notice that I said that you're allowed to express yourself honestly in any situation as long as your intent is not to offend. Notice that there is a specific reason why I didn't say you can express yourself honestly as long as you don't offend. Why do you reckon I said as long as your intent is not to offend? Well... It's living by the law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority in action. (laughs) What authority do I have over how other people choose to receive messages? I don't, do I? I only have any control over whether I choose to communicate the message and how I choose to communicate the message. So you and I, we're not worried about other people's offense, as long as our purpose for communicating a thing was not with that intent, they're allowed to feel however they will feel. Why? Because feelings are not never good or bad, right or wrong, and because of the law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority. You know, all, everything on their end is is on their end. I'm only concerned about what, what I have control over. In the end, the only right responsibility and authority we have is to concern ourselves with ourselves. It's really that, it's really that simple. It, our concern needs to be about being content ourselves with what we have chosen to communicate and the way we chose to communicate, uh, communicate it. Do you see that? We only have to be content in the end we only have to be content with our part of it. So if we're truly content with our reasons for communicating a thing and the way we chose to communicate it, what else matters? What else matters? Nothing else matters. Because no matter what the blowback is, no matter what the, the response is, we can sit back in our chair and say, well, I did it the way that I that I'm happy with. It's all that matters. We only have to be content with our part of anything. <laughs> you know, you remember I did the sex episode there a while back. Uh, was it three episodes back? I mean, uh, overwhelmingly the response was positive, but but there was several very uh, offended and and disgruntled people. How could I sit back in my chair and say, that is a good episode, and I'm content with with the whole experience, if I'm concerning myself with with trying to control other people's reactions, right? It it couldn't happen that way. The only way it could happen is that I said, this episode needs to be made. I'm going to present it in the way that I feel is the most instructive, and the best way to present it, and will do the most good in the long term, I I worked very hard on it. Then when the feedback started coming back, even the negative feedback, I was still able to sit back and say, Barnett, you know, you did it your way. You did it in a way that uh, you could be proud of. So even despite the negative feedback, I'm still content because I I have no control over those people. And their reactions to things. People can get offended at anything, at literally anything. And we have no power or control over that. We can't live our lives in ways meant to manipulate other people's reactions or feelings or behaviors. This is the this is the very essence of what it means to be true to yourself. You say, What what do you mean about this manipulating other people's reactions or feelings or behaviors? When you allow yourself to change course because you're trying to get a better reaction from somebody else then you've been untrue to yourself. You're, you're trying to control somebody else, whether you know it or not. You're saying, if I, if I say, if I state a truth this way and, and I'm, I'm perfectly content with this delivery, but they're not going to be, First of all, you're trying to read their mind, which is impossible. It's stepping outside of your circle in the sand. You're trying to read their mind. You're guessing the way they're going to react. And then you redesign your delivery to try to get a different reaction instead. That is trying to control somebody. Whether you're aware of, that's what you're doing or not, that, that's what's happening. And I don't live like that. I don't think anybody healthy lives like that. I, don't, I know nobody healthy lives like that because that's not a healthy way to live. Now, I might take some people's sensibilities into consideration, but why would I do that? If I know that a person is going to shut down before I'm able to share something that might be beneficial for them, then I might, because my interest is in helping them uh, get past themselves, you see. So in order to do that, Sometimes I need to be strategic about it. But in healthy everyday life, I don't concern myself what, with, with what other people's reactions are gonna be. I don't design my approach and my wording to try to get a behavior from somebody that I prefer. Instead, I recognize the only you know control that I have is over how I choose to say a thing, not how somebody else is gonna react to it. Well, I also have the the power to decide if I'm going to say a thing. So in a lot of cases, I'll just keep my mouth shut. If I'm going to say something that does not need to be said, and I ask myself, is there any reason, is there any practical or constructive reason for me to say this at all, that I won't say it at all. And that goes back to not offering advice unless it's solicited, which means... Somebody comes up and says, what do you think about this? Oh, boy, if they say, what do you think about this? All bets are off. <laughs> All right, this is what I think. Bam, bam, shabam. You know, I give it to them. But otherwise, I, I don't, you know, around my friends, family, uh, associates, I don't go around just saying, hey, you know, you're you doing that wrong. Or, you know what, you should do this this way. Or, you know what, uh, you shouldn't be seeing that girl. Uh-uh, nope. Keep my mouth shut. Only offer advice when it's solicited. Or, if you know something that might benefit a lot of people, you can just set it out there. And, you know, just like the, that stray dog, anybody who wants to come up and take advantage of it can. And anybody who rejects it, that's fine too. That's just fine too. Well, one last reminder. TheLastSymptom.com And uh, run over there, sign up, uh, secure your spot in the West Coast Fundamentals course now, please. We're we're down to the wire here, folks. Just a couple weeks left to go. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the show today. Thank you again for tuning in. Thanks for pushing the Last Symptom podcast up in the charts as we've gone on these last uh, few years. We're about to enter the third season, and uh, so many topics I'm looking forward to talking to there. I hope you have a wonderful evening. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week, and I hope especially that you have a, a wonderful weekend. Do something nice for yourself. You know, It doesn't have to be anything drastic. It can be uh, a hot bath and a glass of wine, you know, if you're able to enjoy such a thing. And uh, if not, you know, uh, a great movie. I always enjoyed really good movies when I was going through my own recovery or, or dealing with my own stress. You know, it's a way to escape real life for a couple hours if, if the movie's good enough and to come out feeling reflect, refreshed on the other side. Uh, this is Brian Barnett signing off. As always, thanks for tolerating me.